Hello everyone, welcome once again to Reason for Hope. We're certainly glad you're joining us today. We're glad that you have joined us or stumbled upon our broadcast. The Reason for Hope, in case it's your first time, is an hour-long live broadcast. We're on multiple platforms streaming live to you. And it's all about your questions on the Bible. You can send us your Bible questions through those platforms, through the various chat functions that I'll go over in just a moment. And we have some guests here who love the Word and love the Lord and love to answer your questions straight from Scripture. So if there is a question that you have on your heart, maybe a verse or a passage of Scripture that has confused you down through the ages, something you read that like, hmm, what does that mean? Maybe something you're going through in your own life, you'd like to know what the Bible says about it. So many things going on in the world. What's the biblical perspective? What does uh, God say about the end times? Maybe even other religions and worldviews as it relates to Christianity and the Bible. Anything along those lines. As long as it's a Bible question, as long as it's a, a sincere question from your heart, and uh, as long as you know the answers are going to come from the Word as accurately as we possibly can with the Lord's help. That's what we're all about here at A Reason for Hope. So we're glad that you're joining us and providing us that content through your questions. My name's Dave Robson. I'm your host. Like I say, I'll be with you in all those platforms as your questions coming in today. With us today, we have Pastor Scott Richards. He's a senior pastor here at Calvary Christian <laughs> Fellowship. Good to see you. Good you, to be seen. Yeah, you doing good? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, looking well. Wonderful for... to uh, spend some time kicking around the word. I know. Yeah, I know. Always, a, always a pleasure, never a chore. Yeah, as they say. Well, thanks for being here, and Pastor Sean Richards. Get to not a got Well, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Your your uh, your offspring over here, Pastor Sean. In case you didn't guess or recognize, how you doing today? Fine, we can prove the offspring part, that's for sure. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. I remember when it was, this started as a radio show, and it was hard to tell who was talking sometimes, whether it was the senior or the junior. Yeah, it's weird how genetics work. Uh, yeah. When my brother visits uh, from California, uh, people come to me and go, it's weird seeing you two together. You even, like, have the same posture. And really? <laughs> I go, well, we are related. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. is. It is interesting. It's yeah. cool when your kids are like you as well, because... As men, we have so little to do with the, you know, the creation of a child. It's cool when you see your your features or your mannerisms in your in your kids. It's like, oh, they they are yeah. they are mine. They, they, yes. are, they are from me. That's yes. what a blessed that is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we were talking the other day about how Bo and Adrian, who you've seen on the show, I didn't realize until Adrian started hanging out here more how their voices sound so similar. I've heard Adrian talk down the hallway and thought it was Bo, and vice versa. Have you noticed that as well? It's, it's really yeah, just uh, listen out for that. It's very freaky. I never, I never noticed that before. But yeah, so if uh, Bo and Adrian are on the show, uh, we will have plausible deniability for those. <laughs> That's right. We're on That's radio. Right. I not, didn't say it, and they're not <laughs> related the at all. So, yeah. but uh, anyway, enough of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't know what we're talking but about. But we anymore. digress. <laughs> we do digress. Yeah. We've got questions to answer. We so. do. We yeah. sure do. And yeah. hopefully, more coming in from you guys. Well, as I mentioned, reason for hope. It's a live broadcast, Monday through Friday. We are with you, Mountain Standard Time, here in Tucson, Arizona, is where we're broadcasting from. It's a ministry and outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson. So if you're in the Tucson area and looking for somewhere to fellowship, or maybe even you're um, you know, a, a seeker, as we call it, someone interested in Christianity and would like to come along to our services, you are more than welcome to do that. We're near Princeton I-10 on the west side of the freeway, pretty central and convenient location there. Um, so keep us in mind. We have a website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. You can uh, get more information about us there or even shoot us uh, an email or message, and we'd love to answer your questions. Uh, but for the purposes of tonight, if you go to that Watch Live 
tab there at Calvary Christian Fellowship. We are streaming live to that page. You can go directly there, ccftucson.online.church. If you just type that right into your address bar, ccftucson.online.church. Anytime we're live, we stream to that page. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next show and a schedule of upcoming events as well. But as we're live right now, you'll see the video. You can sign in with a username and then be part of the show through the chat. And as I mentioned, I'll be right there uh, with you, uh, just monitoring that as your questions and comments come on in. We're on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash CCF Tucson. We had a technical issue last night and didn't stream to Facebook. Things were fine on our end, but sometimes it just doesn't quite connect on the Facebook side of things. I was talking with technical support today. We're hoping tonight will be uh, fine and dandy, but we will see. So um, if uh, we're not on Facebook, keep in mind these other platforms as well. But it's, if we're live on Facebook and you join us there, you can send us your question in the, the chat function. Sean gives me a thumbs up. Yep, we are Hallelujah, we are on Facebook. Uh, so don't forget to, to like and share on Facebook too. We'd appreciate that. And again, send your question in through there. I'll be watching and waiting eagerly for your questions. We have an app for your mobile device as well, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store. You can download our app and watch us on your mobile device. And on Roku and Apple TV, we have a channel there as well. So if you go to your channel store, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, you can add our channel and watch us on your big screen as well. What a treat for the whole family. Uh, try not to scare the children with our big faces on your big screen. But uh, if you'd like to endeavor in that, you certainly can. We're on YouTube as well. A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel on YouTube. A Reason for Hope. It's a great place uh, not only to watch us live, but to um, see archived versions of our show. Uh, if you go to that live tab, anytime we've been live, it just archives there for you. So if you missed the show or you want to recap on a question or even uh, watch our services here um, at Calvary Christian Fellowship, you can find all that on YouTube and we post um, questions of the week and things like that there as well. So Reason for Hope on YouTube. Once again, if you wouldn't mind uh, uh, subscribing and uh, liking and clicking the notification bell if you'd like to get notified when we're live and all that good stuff there on YouTube. Uh, Pastor Scott here, who I introduce, is on Twitter. Scott Arthur H is uh, his handle. Scott, letter R, number four, letter H. He uh, posts highlights from the, the show, kind of little short snippets, um, short versions of the, the questions and answers there. And also... Uh, things uh, pertaining to end times and Bible prophecy, things going on in the news and in the world, so much going on there. I, I love hearing from Scott and just how that all relates to uh, the Bible and uh, end times. So if you're interested in those things, uh, follow along with Scott on Twitter. There's some funnies and shenanigans and stuff too there as well. So if you're in Twitter, uh, Scott R4H, follow along with him. We're on Rumble as well. We're not live on Rumble, but we post uh, videos there, archive videos and content, A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A, if you're on the Rumble platform. And we have an uh, email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questions for Hope, spelled out there with letters uh, at gmail.com. You're welcome to shoot us an email with your question or uh, any comments like that, or just get in touch with us that way. Uh, if you listen to us on the radio, we're glad that you are. We know we hear from several people that listen on their way home from work on the drive time. It's a great time that we go live here but keep in mind that we're not live with you on the radio you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded um, so use that email address questionsforhope at gmail.com when it's safe for you to do so don't text and drive obviously <laughs> but we'll receive your question and get to that on our next show and then of course consider those other live platforms if you'd like to join us uh, live for real so whatever platform you're on we're glad you're there send your question on in as I say I'll be monitoring those and just throwing them out here to our guests and we'll get to as many of those today as we possibly can. Whew. With all that being said, 
I'm getting kind of almost average at doing that these days. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 I hear rumors. You say it in your sleep. <laughs> yes, I do. I do. Wake yeah. up. Oh, no, yeah. Questions for hope at Gmail. Yeah, uh, Pastor Scott, would you like to pray for us? I would love to. Move? Let's yeah. do that. Father, uh, as always, uh, we want this to be your program. We want your truth and only your truth and the entirety of your truth to be able to speak because that's what changes people's lives. Lord, thank you that all scripture is inspired by you and is, is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Lord, uh, we can't uh, come up with anything better than to share the new word. Adding to it would just be so pointless. So we pray, Father, that uh, people would uh, be able to receive what your truth has to say and that your Holy Spirit would speak uh, words of application uh, to the truths that we discussed today. I, I pray, Father, that you would give us a gracious spirit, especially dealing with controversial subjects, but uh, one that doesn't compromise truth on the other side. Thank you, Lord, for the example that you gave us, Jesus. When you came to this world, you were full of grace and truth. And so we pray that both of these things would be present in abundance. Fill us now with your spirit. Minister your encouragement to your people tuning in. Thank you for this opportunity to be able to spend time in your word right now. Mm. Meet us here in fellowship with us, Lord. We thank you for your presence here. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you for that. Well, once again, send your questions in. Whatever platform you're on, send them over, and I'll be uh, monitoring those as they come in. But we have a question to, to kick us off here. Um, kind of following on, we had a discussion yesterday that began the show about music in churches and why we worship with music and sing and those kind of things. It was a great, uh, great discussion we had, I thought. Uh, but a question here, at what point should we boycott resources, whether it's uh, songs or Bible studies, etc., from an in individual or a group or a movement if their theology or conduct becomes questionable? Well, I think that's a good one. And, uh, you know, you talked about our, um, our presence on the uh, formerly Twitter. Now it's X. Yeah. Just always strikes me as a little bizarre. But yep. who am I to tell Elon Musk his business? Right. You know, there's SpaceX and all these things yeah. like that. So I'm sure it's under the brand. But, uh, boy, there was a real dust up uh, when a popular Christian musician by the name of Corey Asbury, he's uh, known for uh, the uh, famous song, The Reckless Love of God, which created uh, uh, quite a bit of controversy when it came out. Right. Is God's love really reckless? What do you mean by that? And so on. Uh, but a very notable guy. Uh, if you listen to uh, any kind of uh, contemporary worship stations, you're going to probably hear some of his music. If um, you hang out in uh, evangelical Bible-believing churches with contemporary worship, you've probably heard some of his songs. Yep. Well, uh, he posted uh, a... Uh, a thing on the uh, Instagram platform uh, where he described himself as a Christian influencer and a musician. Uh, and uh, according to what he said uh, on this platform, uh, he was promoting a doctrine of uh, what, what amounted to salvation by internet subscriber numbers. Right. He told him that God gave him a prophetic vision that he was going to achieve 500,000 followers on his Instagram site. Uh, and uh, that when he achieved that, he could know for certain that he was going to be saved, that he was going to be going to heaven once he achieved that particular uh, level. Uh, he also had some disparaging words to talk about little old ladies who uh, spend their time praying that they needed to get with it and to get uh, on uh, social media, because if they don't, chances are they wouldn't be in heaven. Uh, he said this came 
from a uh, prophetic encounter that he had uh, with uh, a physical apparition of Jesus during Jesus his prayer flesh. time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he said, he quoted the uh, interaction that Jesus had with him. Uh, he said that uh, if he were to get to one million followers on his Instagram site, that the amount of square footage in his heavenly mansion would uh, double. Uh, and that he would have uh, more sports cars like Ferraris and so forth to, to drive uh, once he got into heaven. He, uh, in a sense, almost flippantly said that uh, Jesus kept saying that he was also going to do this for him and also going to do another thing for him. And he said, yeah, this Jesus, he tends to say also a lot. But uh, the Jesus he is describing in this particular post also promised uh, that uh, from now on, because he had achieved 500,000 followers on Instagram, that he would have an easy life with no tribulations from here on out. And and it goes on. Uh, you know, if you want to go online, there's a number of places where you can see what's happening here. Now, the debate comes in, obviously. Uh, was uh, Corey Asbury just being facetious? Was he being sarcastic? Uh, he did not indicate at any time in this particular uh, uh, Instagram post that he was being anything but serious about what had happened to him in his relationship with God. To add to the confusion, uh, Corey Asbury is a member of Bethel Church out of Redding, California, where the Bethel music comes out of. A lot of worship music comes out of there. They're mm -hmm. sort of uh, the American version of Hillsong, if you will, what yep. Australia gave us through Hillsong. Uh, Bethel has uh, come out with uh, you know, countless uh, worship songs you've probably heard before. But there's some real problems uh, with the Bethel Ministries. Bethel is associated with uh, the word faith movement. They are also uh, very adamant about the fact they are part of what is called the New Apostolic Revival uh, that uh, lays great stress not just on signs and wonders, but signs and wonders uh, that, uh, well, don't really seem to have any correspondence to Scripture. Uh, for instance, uh, they've, uh, Bethel Redding uh, has claimed that they've had uh, phenomena uh, that included glory clouds filling uh, their uh, sanctuary, gold dust falling from the ceiling, angel feathers uh, coming from what might be the ventilation system, uh, you know, once again, nowhere does the Bible say that angels have feathers, correct? No. You know, it just speaks about them having wings, but mm. uh, no feathers. Uh, you know, to say uh, that, uh, you know, the, the idea behind all of this uh, is, uh, is somewhat scriptural, not really. They, they teach a really hardcore sense of prosperity gospel. Uh, they believe in the Seven Hills School of Dominionism that teaches that uh, Christians should invade uh, the seven categories of, of uh, dominant culture, and eventually we will take over the world and hand it to Jesus, and at that point, he will come back again. Uh, they have uh, aberrant uh, practices, uh, one called grave sucking, that if you want to be used by God, say, for instance, like Billy Graham, what you would do is you would go to uh, Billy Graham's grave and uh, you would lie upon it and his anointing would fall upon you because of, uh, of that uh, particular practice. So, you know, again, there are other things they get into, um, you know, really strange ways of trying to discern 
uh, personal revelations from God by thinking about different animals, say, in a Bible study group. And if you think of a certain animal, this is what God is saying to you about uh, your life going forward. Uh, and, and all of this is just to say, uh, you know, Bill Johnson, who is the pastor of all of this, uh, states that most Christians operate under a trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Bible rather than Holy Spirit. Uh, he said early in his ministry he knew correct doctrine but did not have any power, did not experience the presence of God. When he finally did experience that presence after seeking the experience by faith, he knew that this was the key to effective Christian living and ministry. Uh, he says what Christians need is not doctrine but the manifest presence of God, and Bethel Redding is committed to sitting, seeking out and experiencing uh, this. Uh, so, you know, the, 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 the bottom line is uh, because Corey Asbury is associated with Bethel, and Bethel has been known to practice some pretty out there kind of things, uh, not really things that are under uh, the judgment of Scripture. You know, again, they tend to poo-poo that and say that that's less than uh, these individual experiences with God. When someone like Corey Asbury puts forth something like this, you know, it's interesting in our conversation, Dave, uh, your first reaction to it was, oh, he must be being sarcastic yeah. or, or kidding. Yeah. Well, the problem is when you see what Bethel and the New Apostolic Re uh, Reformation teach, mm. none of what he was saying in there departs from the things they regularly teach in their church. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, so, you know, the, you know when, when it came up on our Twitter feed, um, you know, I put out a wolf warning on it, uh, you know, be very, very careful about uh, this. And, uh, you know, the, the, the response of generous being was, oh, he must be being sarcastic. You don't have a sense of humor. You can't see he's kidding. Well, you know, we've given it all day long, and Corey Asbury hasn't come back and saying, oh, he's being sarcastic. Yeah. Or can't anybody see that? He may, and, yeah. and if he does, we will certainly stand corrected about that. I would say that uh, a sarcastic post that speaks about a physical appearance of Jesus and critiques the way Jesus speaks by saying he says the word also a lot and, uh, you know, says things that really, in a sense, line up with Bethel doctrine, like if you're doing it right in your Christian life, you won't have tribulation right. in this life, uh, that, that if you name and claim and, and believe in this word faith stuff, you can uh, write your own ticket with God. God will say, for instance, say, I will double the square footage of uh, your home in heaven yeah. if uh, you achieve a certain amount of followers on uh, Instagram. Uh, the, the, the problem is it, it almost illustrates the fact that a lot of really significant worship music, at least as far as significantly played worship music, comes out of these environs, which brings us to our question. If, say, for instance, a Corey Asbury song, um, you know, say like The Father's House, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, the Reckless Love of God, I mean, I could debate about that all day long, yep. but uh, say The Father's House uh, is something that, that seems to be scripturally solid, that does focus people in on the true and living God, that does minister uh, God's grace and truth to people as they sing, should we buy the very fact that Corey Asbury is a part of Bethel music and comes out of this kind of aberrant doctrine, uh, as you mentioned, should we pass on that? Uh, or can we just say, well, you know, you eat the meat and spit out the bones. I mean, right. just because we're singing this song doesn't mean that we buy into Bethel music. And since you are here, Dave, and you are 
the uh, the worship leader here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. I mean, what's your take on that? Well, I know <laughs> not to put you on the spot, but yeah. I just did. <laughs> well, I, I mean, basically, I think it's a it's a judgment a judgment call. I know we've had between the two of us a lot of conversations over the years about certain songs and certain movements and certain groups, and I think you you have to discern. I think what we've always come to is just is discerning the the situation and um, and considering you know because on one side of things you can't say let's find songs that have you know there's absolutely no no trace of sin in the author's life at all. Let's only find songs that came from a pure environment and a pure person and you know you can't go that route. One, how are you going to research that? And two, you're not going to find that okay you know moral perfection i think is an unreasonable standard right but what about doctrinal aberration yeah coming out of a church that really promotes some things that are really twisted yeah when it when it comes down not minor things yeah but but really twisted yeah well, so so i mean does that does that come into play oh absolutely and that's i mean that would be you know that would be the other extreme of it if if the song itself we talked about this yesterday if the song itself is not biblically accurate that's the other extreme but in somewhere around the, the middle away from that is a, a song that might be accurate but from a, a, a movement or a person who has all these things that you're talking about with Bethel um, and that's where I think you have to consider really what I've come to um, is where you consider those and I believe this is a biblical uh, um, standard consider those with the weaker faith because I know for myself I could take a song Forget about the author and where it came from. I can just take a song for its own merit and just say that's biblical, that's good, and I'm okay with that. But we have people, you know, we're we're putting these words in the mouths of the people. We're, in a sense, promoting these authors and Bethel by using those songs. And we have to be careful if someone, I know someone said to me once, you know, but what if that person, like, I love that song. Who's the author? Well, so and so, who? What group are they with? It's with this group. I'm going to go and listen to more of their music, and they get kind of drawn away into that. And I think that's something that we have to consider. But it, I, I do believe it is certainly a judgment, and that's why we've had a lot of conversations between us over the years. Hey, Scott, what do you think of this song? What do you think of that? Which I really appreciate. I mean, Dave is really good about running some of these songs by me, or if I I catch something, you know, and they'll they'll be, um, um, I, I guess, uh, uh, areas where uh, things uh, will be kind of difficult for me uh, to to uh, feel comfortable with in in my own life. Like, say, for instance, singing "I Surrender All," right? A uh, very famous song. Everybody <laughs> loves it, but who really can sing it and mean it? Yeah. Um, you know, I I don't want to be singing this thing. Well, I surrender most everything I'm thinking about right Some. now, but I'm I surrender a yeah. little. <laughs> I'm surrendering more than I used to. Yeah. You know. But to say, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I don't know anybody who can say that with a straight face. Yeah. I mean, this side of heaven. I'd love to, don't get me wrong. You know, if it's, yeah. you know, somebody said, well, you know, it's my desire, it's, it's, it's my ambition. Well, right. then, then great. But, you know, for someone like me, you know, even with a classical hymn like that, I find myself going, eh, yeah. not really comfortable. Yeah. And there's a lot of songs that do tend to have that I surrender everything yeah. to you or I give my whole life to you or yeah. or things like this. And uh, you know, I I understand that there's gonna be people that are gonna have a different take on that yeah. than I do. And, right. and, and, and that's fine. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But uh I guess that's just to il illustrate that, you know, like yesterday 
Uh, I thought you guys did such a great job of talking about the standard, uh, the standards we have as far as the songs that we sing at Calvary Christian Fellowship, that uh, they should be simple, uh, they should be skillful, mm-hmm. uh, they should be scripturally faithful and Savior-focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we keep those standards in place, I think, I think we're going to be all right. Yeah. But, you know, Sean, what do you think about that issue then of music that does come from groups that... Uh, do have some pretty aberrant teaching. Well, like Dave observed, when it comes to the art and the artist, those are two different things, and you have to judge the maturity of the listener just as much as what's being listened to. There are things that in of themselves are aberrant and false doctrine. There are also things that are sound doctrine, but coming from a very bizarre source. The probably most famous example is a song that maybe most Christians in the world know by heart, Amazing Grace. The guy who sung that ended up founding a cult in his own image. So if we're going off of, you know, a poisoned well, then we can't do that. Wilberforce, I did, Not Wilberforce. Uh, Newton. John Newton didn't? Yeah. No, are, are he you, believed that he was the second coming. Oh, no, no, no. What you're thinking of is um, um, Horatio Spafford, the, um, uh, who, who sang... Uh, the, uh, the it is well. It that, is well that's with that's my what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. It is well. Yeah, yeah. John Newton. No, he was right on. So, so, yeah. So, thank goodness. Yeah. Retract that point. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's a fine example of judging everything with a grain of salt. If the yeah. person's responsibility is to look up what they hear and verify it, then they are going to stand before God with what they did. Likewise, in the case of this individual, in him, unquestionably, if what he meant was sincere what he said was sincere, then he's a false prophet. There's no other way to put that. In the name of God, he contradicted scripture. He attributed to Jesus words that were in direct conflict with what he already said, were to test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. I think that's true in entertainment and media. I think that's true at the pulpit, and I think that's true everywhere in between. And if the person, the individual, has the wherewithal to exercise that, they will stand before God in what they did with what they had. If, on the other hand, a teacher minds the fragility, I guess, of the weakest link in their flock, but still wants to edify, exhort, and comfort their audience, they'll also answer to the Lord and saying, look, I know that there were some people that have slippery fingers when it comes to any form of doctrine, but I'm not going to withhold the word of God, your word in this case, if I'm going to have the opportunity or audience to speak to them plainly about what you said. Just because someone else is going to mess it up doesn't mean it's messed up. The person, the hands handling it are the issue. We should all aspire to be training each other up to handle proper doctrine, not as Paul said, tossed to and fro with every wind and wave of doctrine. So my, my own comfort when it comes to, oh, what if it's taken this wrong way, is that's between them and the Lord. Mm. I wasn't unclear. Likewise, in the context of worship, like anything else done in church, the best thing to do is to treat it like you would anything said from the pulpit, because it's a message too, and it's yeah. spoken in the name of God, or drawing people to God. And if there's a falsehood there, it should be discerned, but it also should be recognized and tested according to Scripture. I think that's fine. So if you hear from, you know, now that it's been properly cited, I surrender all as opposed to it is well with my soul, both and of themselves aren't necessarily heretical, but we need to make sure that when we're talking about these things that they're done from a pure heart and a clean conscience, Mm -hmm. like Scripture tells us to do in everything, including how we enjoy art. 
Yeah, you know, in, in thinking and praying about it, you know, Dave, you and I had the chance to kick this around a little bit earlier today. You know, I, I keep coming back to, um, you know, a, a really uh, odd duck that we run into in the Old Testament. Mm. His name was Balaam. Mm. Uh, and uh, by the time we see him in the New Testament, boy, you know, he's not really referred to in, in a very positive way. But Balaam, uh, according, you know, he comes on the scene in Numbers chapter 22. Uh, he is uh, seen as a man of God, a seer, uh, an individual that, uh, you know, could pray and, and God would answer his prayers. Seems like the true and living God. Uh, but he, he had a uh, fatal flaw in that uh, he was kind of a prophet for hire, I guess. And the, the king of Moab saw the Israelites, knew he couldn't take him on, uh, you know, militarily, uh, and, and because God was with him. So he had to uh, find a way to attack him spiritually. So he contracted Balaam and said, uh, you know, can you curse Israel for me? And Balaam says, well, I'll pray about it. And God says, don't do it. Whatever you do, don't do it. And he went, well, okay, and uh, went back at, and came away and said, well, I'll really make it worth your while. And, and uh, he goes, well, I'll just go with him, you know. And, and, and you, you just see Balaam's uh, resistance eroding, the famous incident with Balaam's donkey where uh, he decides to go and God told him not to go. And the donkey uh, backs up and crashes into the side of this ravine because the donkey's seen the angel of the Lord standing with a sword ready to slay Balaam mm -hmm. at this point. And Balaam gets mad and he starts beating the donkey and the donkey talks to him and goes, when have I been a bad donkey to you? <laughs> and he goes, never. And he goes, don't you think there's something else going on here? And, and you know, I, I mean, you got to really be uh, in a rage to engage in a conversation <laughs> with a donkey. Yeah. But, uh, but then Balaam sees that and he goes, okay, Lord, I learned my lesson. I'm not going to, to do anything. So every time he opened his mouth to curse the people of Israel, blessing came forth. In fact, uh, you know, in, in Numbers, we see this really uh, amazing prophecy uh, where Balaam says, I see him, but not now. I, I see him, but not near. A star will rise from Judah and uh, a scepter from Jacob, and he's going to beat the brow of Moab and uh, destroy the sons of tumult, you know, and if you're kind of King Balak and Moab, Moab standing, man, why am I paying this guy? He's saying, I'm going to get it. But this, this picture of Messiah, this, this star that was going to rise out of Judah, uh, just an incredible prophecy. But uh, he kind of continued down this path, and he figured something out. Okay, if every time I open my mouth and prophesy, God blesses Israel, the only way that I can uh, get my money is to find some way to get Israel to curse themselves. So he gave advice to the king of Moab to send the foxy Moabite and Midianite women into the camp and uh, introduce idolatry to the dumb guys. Like, oh, honey, you're so wonderful, but, you know, the room would be so much more romantic. We could just include a little Ashtoreth worship here. And, well, okay, whatever you say. And, and lo and behold, it almost worked. A, a plague wiped out over 20,000 uh, people in Israel, and it would have wiped out the whole nation if one guy uh, by the name of Phineas hadn't put a rather pointed end to it all. One guy was just like, well, I don't care about the true and living God. I'm going to go sleep with this woman in front of all you people. And Phineas put an end to that and the plague stopped. So, you know, when, you know, and I think about some of these musicians that definitely come out of aberrant background. Let's, you know, take it back, you know, hundred some years to Horatio Spafford. 
you know, Spafford kind of spit the bit. You know, he had messianic pretensions at the end of his life. But when he wrote, It Is Well for my, With My Soul, it was because he had uh, sent his, uh, he had gone to America. He sent for his uh, wife and his children to come and join him. The ship went down in the middle of the Atlantic. And when he went back for the funeral, he asked the captain to, to call him when they were at that spot. And that's where the Lord laid that song on him. You know, again, the idea when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot you've taught me to say, yeah. it is well with my soul. There's been so many people have been just profoundly comforted yep. by that. But so many people have no idea that Horatio Spafford ended up, you know, kind of going off the deep end at the end yep. of his life. So does that mean that I can't find comfort in those words or that uh, those aren't words that line up with Scripture? No, you know, I, I think we can. But in these days, and, you know, there's documentaries that you can see about Hillsong and all the uh, problems with leadership that they've had there. A lot of great worship music has come out of Hillsong. Yep. A lot of great music has come out of Bethel. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that we endorse Hillsong, and that right. doesn't mean that we endorse Bethel. Yep. Uh, I just think you take it on a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. I think you have to be a Berean yep. and search the scriptures daily to find out if these things are, are really so. But when it comes to like following a guy like Corey Asbury, um, who's making proclamations like that, has over 500,000 followers, and didn't go out of his way to say, ha-ha, yeah. JK, yeah. you know, don't take this seriously, especially coming from a movement where a lot of these things are just, uh, you know, I mean, word faith and naming your own uh, deal with God and you don't have to suffer and you're doing this right. You can be the head, not the tail and, you know, be have maximum wealth and perfect health and, and all this. Um, pretty scary. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of people, even if he was being sarcastic, who would take that as saying, wow, man, this yeah. guy had an encounter with Jesus. Right. So can Jesus still speak to people? Yeah. But he's never going to speak he's contrary to his word. And the <laughs> yeah. Jesus I know, uh, you know, first of all, said, whoa, when all men speak well of you. We should never evaluate our spirituality mm-hmm. by the amount of followers or clicks or hits that we have. Yeah. Secondly, Jesus in John 16, flat out said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But yeah. fear not, for I've overcome the world. Well, that wasn't the, the Jesus, if you will, that spoke to Corey Asbury or the one that he's representing. Well, let's let's try to be gracious. Let's give the guy the benefit of the doubt. Maybe yeah. tomorrow he's going, oh man, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I shouldn't have said that. That was just me being funny. And yeah. of course, it's so over the top. Who would take? Well, the reason we're taking it seriously is because of the movement you've associated yourself with. Right. Maybe it could be a teachable moment for the guy. Yeah. But so far, no correction no, as yeah. far as airtime goes. Yeah. If any of you are watching online and he has corrected that. Let us know. Yeah, and that's been when I read the because I, I I truly believe he was being sarcastic and joking. But even so, when you read the comments, even the people that you know know he was joking are kind of responding like you may want to make it clear that you're joking. You may want to not joke in that way. And those kind of comments, you know. So even the people that are taking it as a joke are kind of cringing like that was a kind of a dangerous move to <laughs> speak those things out. So even in the most you know, a gentle and gracious way. Yeah, um, I've produced videos where it was entirely parody all the way through, but literally the first word of the description is parody. parody. Yeah. That needs to be clear. Yeah. So like you said, I think it, it will be a teaching moment. I predict he's going to have to come out and say he was joking, but I think there was some, some damage done. Unless he wasn't. <clears throat> Unless he wasn't. Yeah. Because that 
that movement. I kid you not. It's yeah. They they teach some bizarre things. Yeah. Grave sucking. Yeah, I've never. <laughs> Angel feathers falling from the ceiling. Yeah. Um, right. That's uh, that's pretty right. wild. So that's pretty wild. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess more maybe, uh, you know, if he does uh, follow up on that, we can discuss that more tomorrow or later yeah. when things come out. But definitely a great discussion. Uh, well, questions coming in. I see a question here from uh, Sui. Sui, you're becoming a regular on the show. We appreciate that. Good to see you. Uh, Sui says, hello, my friends. Um, uh, did some research found that most theologians believe that David did not take any of Saul's wives as his own. Uh, he mainly took care of them after they were widows. Others said David killed the men and took them for his own. Why do Bible theologians and scholars not take the Bible literally? I also have atheist friends that study, and they say, see, don't take everything in Scripture literally. Uh, Jesus wasn't God's son. Some theologians don't agree on that either. So I guess the question boils down to, which comes up a lot, should we take the Bible literally <laughs> is the question. Category well, is what matters. Well, Sean, let me throw the first question out to you. Um, what about the deal about David? and taking Saul's wives. Did that, by definition, mean that uh, he acted murderously towards people in that set of circumstances? In that circumstance and more, if he did, it wouldn't mean that A, God approved of them, or B, that these quote-unquote scholars are doing scripture any favors by hushing or waving away the idea that David could do no wrong. First of all, when we're talking about the authenticity or the uh, intended way that we're supposed to handle scripture. Usually the kind of people who are saying that shouldn't be taken literally aren't doing so because it ought not to be, but because it starts to conflict with other things that they have in place. Now note, that's fine. If there's a working principle that conflicts with a literal interpretation, then it's best to seek another interpretation because as any interpretation of text involves, if the literal sense makes sense, seek no other sense lest you believe in nonsense. If the literal sense doesn't make sense, then seek another sense. That's the point. So if the system, the formula is fine, we have two variables that we're plugging into this equation. First, that David isn't the kind of person who would have issues in the bedroom, so to speak. He would never multiply wives. He would never go beyond God's plan for his sexuality. He would never act murderously, or if you're not laughing yet, yeah. all of those things you, you, you are 100% true. don't know true. the story of David. So, <laughs> and yeah. those are all, of course, literal historical events, and actually give more validity to the Bible than caution, because accounts of embarrassment are the sort of things you look for in historical narratives being authentic. And First and Second Samuel are, without a doubt, a part of the historical narrative of the Old Testament. So if you are listening to scholars first mistake, but listening to scholars that are saying, oh, David couldn't have done that. It's not because there's a working principle in Scripture that that would conflict with. It's a working principle of an infallibility on David's part. Because they conclude, and this is true, that David was called a man after God's own heart, they interpret that literally and say that everything that he did and intended was perfectly in line with God's character. Is that true? No. So you should seek a figurative interpretation, or maybe just finish the chapter and realize what about him was after God's own heart, that he was after God's heart. 
But the point he made is that uh, when it comes to the actual text that we have, here's the working assumption when it comes to why these things were recorded. First of all, in Deuteronomy, long time before David, around 400 years, uh, it says in verse 14 of chapter 17, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. So, again, 300 and change years before Saul and at that, uh, 400 years before the time of David, God's already spelling out for them how this is going to go. When you ultimately reject me, when you bum Samuel out, though he wasn't born yet, and all of these things take place, this is how it's going to roll. Note, but um, you shall not set a foreign over you who is not your brother. So first rule, Hebrew. But note verse 16, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord said to you, don't return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. So monies, honeys, and ponies, as they say, are <laughs> off limits for a king. He's to observe the same principles of marriage that anyone else in Israel would. Now, why would these things have to be specifically spelled out for a king? Well, because in the ancient world, that's how you solidified alliances. That's what got Solomon into a lot of trouble, when whenever he made an alliance with the neighboring nation, he observed their custom at the expense of God's custom right. and saying, well, I'll just take, you know, Pharaoh's daughter and we'll keep our alliance up with Egypt. And, oh, well, you happen to have horses and stuff. I seem to remember Deuteronomy when I had to write out my own copy of the Torah. Now, that's not important right now. She's attractive. And so is the horse, by the way. These were the sort of things that they had to work with your imagination on that one. These were the things that they had to shy away from. Now, when it literally says, not one, not two, but four books prior, I think my math's right on that, telling David and anyone who would be under the title of king, don't do this, and he did it, the working assumption is that was wrong. Why? Because Deuteronomy meant what it said. Then when David does it, it's not a justification for some guy who's trying to play fast and loose with his bedroom ethics and say what? Well, the people in the Old Testament did it, and after all, it says God, David was a man after God's own heart. He took wives for himself. That's okay. There's the problem. If the working assumption is faulty, the system isn't what's being tested. It's the variables I'm plugging into it. Is my assumption correct that nothing David ever did was wrong in God's eyes? Read Second Samuel 12. Yeah. The incident with Bathsheba was greatly displeasing to the Lord. Right. And not the only thing, by the way. Mm -hmm. If you go to 1 Samuel 25 and noting after the incident with Abigail, which was a good situation, David also made a mistake by taking one of Saul's wives on top of that. We don't know if it was by force or by charming. We know he was a charming fellow, but it just mentions that he took another wife on top of Abigail. We're told in 2 Samuel, when he started to take the throne, that he took Michael, not a dude, by the way, uh, the wife that he was given by Saul right. when he was still a member of his court and married legally into his family as part of the royal line. What did he do? He took her back by force against her will, and she was all too happy about that. When he, and this is where we get into the crux of the matter, where the scholars tend to go, when we're told in the follow-up 
I think it was in verse uh, chapter 13 of 2 Samuel, after the Bathsheba incident, when Nathan the prophet confronts him about it and says, the Lord gave you, and let me actually just read the account verbatim so that we don't misunderstand anything here. Uh, when it says that he had given you uh, your master's house, this is 1 Samuel 12, excuse me, in verse 8, and note this, um, the, all of the wives into your care. Let me g- get the passage up. I'm reading too much in summaries here, and we're live. Oh, boy. <laughs> Excuse me. Anyway, uh, I gave you my master's house, your master's wives, and I gave you the house of Judah that if had been too little, I would have given you more and more. But the point of that passage could be one of two things. Do I interpret that literally in saying God intentionally, out of favor, gave David more than one wife and violated his character? No. He's drawing attention to the fact you're seeking sexual gratification out of what I've given you, and that wasn't enough. If you needed more, I would have given it to you, yet Bathsheba was a sin. And that's the point. If I'm going to interpret two things, say, this can't be literal, therefore it must be figurative, what's leading you to say this can't be literal? It's conflicting with something that must already be true. What's certainly true? Kings weren't supposed to be polygamists. They're supposed to set an example to Israel. But David was. So what does that mean? That Deuteronomy 17's out? That uh, 2 Samuel 12 is out? No that David is out. (laughs) And that's the point. If you're a sinner, does that mean that God can't use you, that God can't forgive you, that God's through with you? If it says he was a man after God's own heart, how do I interpret that in light of the rest of Scripture, especially earlier and clearer passages, especially when they're used to justify things less than savory? And that's the point. Do we take Scripture literally? When appropriate? How do you determine when appropriate? check your assumptions. Is the assumption that David could do no wrong, that he was sinless, excuse me, appropriate? No. In fact, Scripture would directly and forcefully contradict that. Was it because David could do no wrong in God's eyes? No. Scripture would directly contradict that. Was it because David just messed up and was a messed up person and that God could even use messed up people, even in this context? Yes, that checks. Because you note in Say, for example, the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul, formerly Saul, was what? A murderer of Christians and a persecutor of the church, something he grieved over regularly. It's like, well, he didn't struggle sexually. Oh, for corn's sake. Now we're getting into pet sins. That's the point. Do I interpret Scripture literally? Well, what if the scholars say different? What if atheists say different? I don't care. Read it. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, You know, the... The, the, the question comes up about scholarship uh, and things along that line. Um, the, the problem that I even see with some of uh, what you've said as far as scholars, uh, the scholars you were reading, uh, or maybe these are from atheistic websites, uh, one scholar you say says David was a ruthless sil- serial killer killing King Saul and his sons. No, uh, King Saul and his sons died in a battle with the Philistines on Mount Gilboa. Mm. Uh, so, you know, oftentimes uh, when someone makes an assertion like this and says, well, you know, I've read the Bible and, and this is what it says, you know, that's, yeah. you know, good, good response to this, uh, Sui, is to say, if you're a little confused on it, you know, um, 
you know, I'm not certain of the facts of this, but let me look into it. And I'll, if, would you like me to get back to you with an answer on this if you're really interested? You know, even asking that question, I think, is instructive because sometimes people say, well, no, I've already figured it out. And you Bible, you know, and then they go off in a tirade. Well, you've already told me that uh, you're not really interested in finding out about these things. You've discredited the Bible and you're just trying to come up with a case to back up your preconceived idea that the Bible can't be the word of God, usually because you've got something going on in your life. The Bible says don't do it and uh, you would really desperately like the Bible not to be the word of God. So, you know, really be careful about that when people make these kind of statements. They're very easily uh, disproved just by reading the text. Uh, you know, uh, oftentimes people will say, well, the Bible contradicts itself. Uh, one of the first questions I ask is, okay, where? Can you give me a for instance? Well, everybody knows that. Well, <laughs> no, not everybody knows that. As a matter of fact, even uh, secular scholars will say that uh, even the most famous quote-unquote Bible contradictions now have been researched and find plausible uh, explanations behind them. So, you know, if someone's really interested in the truth, man, go on the journey with them. Right. But if someone just kind of wants to argue, well, you know, sometimes we're just spinning our wheels. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, great. Well, sorry, thank you for that question. I hope that helps you out with that. A uh, question from Yari. Uh, do you think our glorified bodies will be bloodless and sterile? What do we know about what our glorified bodies will be? Uh, those two claims are missing some two very important points. When Jesus appeared to his apostles, he said, Behold, I am not a ghost. You see that a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see before me. Well, he said, no, he didn't say blood, he said flesh and bone. Not the point. Uh, when it comes to uh, us being sterile, sterile means a defect, that you have reproductive capacities but can't utilize them, that you're impotent. Uh, when it says in the Gospel of Matthew, again, that uh, those who are in the resurrection neither marry nor are given in marriage, it's noting we are like the angels in heaven. We weren't we won't have reproductive capacities in that body. So it's like saying that, uh, okay, is your car uh, tireless or is it a hovercraft? Well, if it's a hovercraft, then it's not intended to have tires. If it doesn't have tires, then it's a defect and you're gonna have to find some different way for it to become in motion. Two very different categories of things, not the point. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wow, good job, y'all. Yep. We should have time for at least one more question here. Thank you, Yari, for that. A uh, question from Robert, which is based around AI, artificial intelligence, and if that has any role in like the end times and prophecy. Uh, see, things are getting really scary around some of the things I'm seeing that's uh, AI. Um, it's getting really very real looking. And, you know, is, is, does the Bible say anything about how that maybe the Antichrist well, might use those well, things. Well, the so notion of, of artificial intelligence, first of all, is the idea that we can make thinking machines yep. um, independent, uh, capable of independent thought, yep. of actual sentience, if you will. Yeah. But go ahead. I mean, well, we've all seen Terminator. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's yeah. coming. Well, let me rephrase the question. Have you heard of this thing called the Internet? 
I mean, this capacity to speak instantaneously with people around the globe and the, uh, just the way that the Bible says that in the last days there's the, every eye will see the two witnesses when they're dead in the street for three and a half days. It's in Revelation 14. You can look it up. I mean, is this Internet thing something satanic that the Antichrist is going to use for his purposes? You hear about this thing called credit cards, how like, you know, it uses numbers to store the, your ability to buy and sell, and that you can't use it in certain places? Is this something that the Antichrist is going to use? You hear about this thing called cars and jet airplanes? Yeah, How do you yeah, get the yeah, point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the the question always comes up, you know, with uh, the amount of, uh, say, computing capacity, you know, just uh, becoming exponential. Uh, the uh, From what I understand, the computers that ran uh, the Apollo 11 moon mission uh, were far simpler than uh, the computing power that we have in the average cell phone right now. Yeah, uh, and, that's and crazy. And so, you know, we, we have seen these leaps and bounds, and, you know, some people will look at Revelation chapter 13, uh, where it talks about uh, that uh, the false prophet who's going to come on the scene would be granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause all who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And that, that is sort of the, uh, the kickoff for the one world economic system uh, based upon 666 and all of this. So the idea of taking an inanimate object, an image of the beast and giving life to it, some people say, ah, you know, we hear this talk about the singularity where computing power finally gets to the point where like we mentioned Dave in the Terminator movies, uh, suddenly uh, they become self-aware, they're sentient beings. Uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, Elon Musk was talking about a debate on AI he was having and uh, that one of the other uh, uh, individuals that was interested in developing AI accused uh, Elon Musk of being a speciest because uh, he did not believe that artificial intelligence should be treated on a par with human intelligence. And, and, and so you see people getting in, into uh, all of this, uh, you know, the, uh, the the bottom line is is this, and I think it's what Sean uh, was expressing pretty eloquently, is uh, I've been around long enough uh, to see all kinds of people say, hey, is this technology uh, going to be prophetically significant? Mm. Well, I do think maybe internet technology would be prophetically significant in the sense that in Revelation chapter 11, we're told that people from all over the world will be able to take a look at the bodies of the two prophets lying in state uh, at the same time. Um, satellite technology, is that, that part of it? Does that facilitate that? Uh, it, you know, again, we could take a look at that and say, yeah, that's now possible. It wasn't possible before. And, you know, perhaps there are some technological overtones to that. But notice the operative word there. The word is perhaps. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's not that these uh, technological advances are 100% uh, the fulfillment of these prophecies, but they could be uh, things that could facilitate the, the fulfilling of these prophecies. Mm. Uh, it does seem to be, the, the, in Revelation 13, I think we see a decided supernatural aspect to that, yeah. um, not just a technological breakthrough, wow. but a supernatural aspect to it all. Wow. Um, if I'm wrong, well, fortunately, I'll be in heaven when all that goes down. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, once again, we do see 
that a lot of things that people used to discredit the scripture on and say, oh, well, how could something like, how could all people at once look at these bodies lying in state? Well, right. now we know. Yep. So, yep. you know, you have to be careful of what's called newspaper eschatology. And, and what that means is we look at everything in the news and we say, ah, this fulfills this particular prophecy, mm. or this must mean that this prophecy is being fulfilled. Right. Uh, when we take a look at the first coming of Jesus, right? Uh, nobody had to fold, spindle, or mutilate the things that Jesus did to see they were fulfilling prophecy. Right. I mean, it was just That's bang, true. bang, bang. Yeah. Uh, very, very obvious. I think the second coming of Jesus is going to work the same way. Mm. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. Um, real quick, if we can, yesterday we had a question from a postmodern covenant. Uh, good evening, gentlemen. I've got a question. Why is the book of, is it Yasher, J-A-S-H-E-R, not in the Bible? Are you familiar with that at all? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's one of many books that are mentioned throughout the Bible as other historical sources that weren't divinely inspired scripture, but are referenced to the people that were there to hear it originally. So, for instance, in Joshua 24 that you're mentioning, uh, the um, conquests that they had, the Acts of the Kings, and all these other things. Even these the, were, ac the account of Joshua praying and the sun stopping in its place yeah, is and, included in the book of Jasher. Yeah, mm -hmm. and they reference another source in order to verify that. The point being made is this. When it comes to the reasons why the books that are in our Bibles are there and other books that may have been true but weren't the reason or didn't fit the criterion, yep. it's the reason why we put them in the Bible is because of three things. First of all, they cl came from people who claimed they were speaking on behalf of God. If they were lying or found to be false in the things they were claiming and predicting, they would be executed. They would be accountable to those words. The people who wrote the book of Jasher never made those claims, so they were not a part of what we call the Torah, the Tanakh, eventually the Bible. When it comes to the reason why we would trust these words to be the words of God is because God God would always back up his words with deeds. Public miracles were performed after the standard of Moses in order to verify these books as scripture as opposed to the book of Jasher. No one performed miracles to support the book of Jasher. That's why it was treated as just another book. And like most ancient books and literature, it passed into the realm of history. No information in it that's relevant to why it was mentioned isn't in our Bibles. Right, thank you. We're right out of time. Stick around. We're going live again in half an hour with our Wednesday night service. If not, we'll see you same time, same place tomorrow. Thanks for being part of A Reason for Hope. God, God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.